Hi, neighbors. You know, as an extra for the podcast this week, I was lucky enough to interview someone that uh, has become a, a wonderful friend of mine. And it's just, I wanted to share it with you. Lou Costello has been a hero of mine since I was uh, a child. He was part of a famous comedy team, Abbott and Costello. Uh, they started out actually in the late 30s and went all the way uh, until his passing in the 50s. They were the number one box office and universal. People know him from Abbott Costello Meet Frankenstein. Uh, they were just so famous and so wonderful through radio, television, and the movies. And as a comedian, they were always um, uh, an influence of mine. And recently I was able to have a conversation with Lou Costello's daughter, Chris, uh, a person that uh, n has not only been able to share information about her father, but also carry on a legacy of kindness, a legacy of looking out for other people, and a legacy of just sharing other people's stories. So I, I, I won't talk much more, I just wanna share this conversation and I hope that you enjoy it. Well, Chris, it's nice to talk to you today. Nice to talk to you too, Trevor. Hey, can you uh, just kind of start off by just, um, for those that don't know, uh, just, uh, it would be hard for me to believe, but I'm sure that there might be some that don't know who your father was. Uh, if they don't, they have surely seen his influence, I'm sure, in comedians today. Uh, but could you give us just a little bit of a, of a history there? Well, you know, my dad uh, first uh, started out in Burlesque uh, way after Bud. Bud was already a seasoned burlesque performer on the stage. He also produced and wrote a lot of the reviews uh, on the circuit. Uh, when he met my dad, it was at a theater in New York, I believe. And my dad's straight man got ill. And Bud happened to be on the bill that night and took over. And one thing I have to stress is that, you know, Bud Abbott truly was one of the greatest straight men that this industry has ever known. Uh, he knew all the burlesque skits. I mean, there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of old burlesque skits. And what made comics and teams great to where following burlesque, they had phenomenal careers such as Milton Berle, W.C. Fields, etc., is they could take an old joke and make it their own by incorporating new things to it. But one of the first bits they did as a team that night before they officially teamed was what was called the lemon bit. And if anybody has seen any of the Abbott and Costello films, you can even take a look at uh, In the Navy, where uh, Bud does um, a bit with Dad and Shemp Howard, where I think they were using lemons. I may be off, I may be off but I think it was lemons where it's on a table and there's a, a hole in the table and he mo he puts the lemons under cups and you have to select which cup it is. And it became a, 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 a staple of a lot of the burlesque routines. But it was Bud Abbott who really taught my dad that routine. And it was just magic. You know, I mean, magic is something you cannot practice and learn. It's got to just be there. And they clicked. And Bud sent my father uh, a telegram. Back then it was telegram, no emails, of course, or <laughs> cell phones. And my dad, I think, was working in the Orpheum in Chicago. And uh, he said, when you get back, would you like to talk about teaming up? And my dad responded saying, absolutely, you know, and uh, history was made. But, you know, I think with dad and Bud, the one thing that I really respect from them, as well as so many others in the industry, 
was that there were two circuits in burlesque. There was what they called the blue circuit, which was a little bit more risque. And then there was the clean circuit. And Dad and Bud both said, you don't have to be dirty to be funny. And you don't have to belittle others or berate others to be funny, which is why in a lot of their routines, you see Dad taking a lot of the, the insults and the pokes and this and that. It was never at anybody else. It was, it was really between them. And Dad was just really firm on that. You know, he, he did not like vulgarity in any way. Uh, he, uh, that was just a, uh, something inside of him and, and Bud, too, where when they went out on stage, they wanted to appeal to a cross-section, but also they wanted to appeal to the kids. And when they started making films, uh, their biggest fan base were kids. So they always kept that in mind, as Bud would say, you know, we do this for the kiddies. And uh, as far as their humanitarian work and, and how they took humor to help others is, I think, the best example. Well, there's two, really, that I'll point out. One is that during World War II, one of the mo most horrific wars in, in our, our uh, you know, I think in, in history, uh, they both jumped in. You know, they, they didn't serve. My dad couldn't because he had rheumatic heart. Bud couldn't. He was too old uh, to join, you know, and he certainly wasn't going to be drafted. But they joined other Hollywood celebrities and doing these tours across country to raise money for Uncle Sam. There was a real patriotism back then, you know, and sadly, I mean, you see it today, but there, there's it's, it's some of it has been lost. And I think that would kill both men, you know, to see such a division in our country. Uh, back then, they wanted to go out and do what they could, you know, for their country. So they, they initiated a, I think it was like a three-day cross-country trip, you know, one-night stands in various places to raise the money. And one story that I loved, and this will really show you their humanitarian side. There was a, a boy. He was 11 or 12 years old. We tried to get in touch with him for our newsletter, but he had passed away because he was an older man by that point. Uh, and I can't remember his name, but he went to the hotel with a couple of his friends where Dad and Bud were staying. And they um, knocked on their suite. Dad and Bud invited them in, ordered Coca-Colas and this and that for the kids. And, the, and this little boy said... Would you perform in my backyard for my neighbors? And so Bud, being funny, said, okay. He said, that's fine. Do you have a contract? He said, well, no. He said, well, we've got to have a contract. He said, so how much are you going to pay us to do this? Little boy said, well, I've raised like $1.35. So Bud looked at Dad. Dad looked at Bud and said, well, okay, let's do it. Well, of course, they did not take the money at all. <laughs> sure. What they did do is they canceled another engagement where they were supposed to receive an award because they said they had a prior engagement that they had to attend. A car took him out to this little boy's house. And, of course, all the neighbors were just, I mean, it was uh, knee deep, you know, with people. You couldn't get through into the backyard. But Dad and Bud did this for that little boy because they thought he truly was a symbol of patriotism and what he wanted to do, you know, for the war effort. Uh, they raised a staggering amount, um, you know, within three days' time, $85 million, I believe. Wow. And uh, Kate Smith also ran a, a close tie to that number as well. But they were honored on the steps of City Hall by Mayor Furiello LaGuardia. 
And uh, that to them was was giving back. You know, I don't think there's enough giving back in today's world. It's all about giving it to me. It's not giving it back to them. And I think the second example of how I know dad turned his comedy into a positive force was when my brother, who drowned in the family pool just three days shy of his first birthday back in 1943 or 44. Um, I've got to get my dates. I'm sitting here looking for my own book. (laughs) (laughs) At any rate, um, you know, I was born four years later, but the story goes is that dad was laid up with rheumatic fever for a full year. So he had this time with my brother, Lou Jr., who was nicknamed Butch, and he learned to crawl, you know, with Butch. Uh, he, he got all of that time that he missed out with his two older children, my sisters, because he was on the road a lot. And the night that the doctor said, yes, you can go back to the radio show, the Abbott and Costello radio show and perform, uh, they took him to rehearsal. And it was, you know, during that time, my mother went out to buy Butch uh, his first uh, uh, stroller. Uh, and uh, Butch was left in, in the attendance of, of people there in the house. But it was one of those situations where this person thought that person was watching the baby. That person thought this person was watching the baby. And Butch, who was very robust, was would shake the playpen and a slat was loose and he managed to go break the slat where he could crawl through. So it it was in a courtyard. It was protected, but the gate to the pool was open. And he had crawled, you know, from the playpen out to the pool because dad's secretary said, which was always fascinated with watching the leaves float on the top of the pool. So when dad was given the word, what had happened, they immediately got him home and uh, people started calling Mickey Rooney Every every major star in Hollywood saying, we will take over for you tonight. And he said, no, I'm going back to the studio. And it was his sister who broke through this crowd of people in his den. She said, Lou, how, how, how can you go back to the studio and do the show? And he looked up at her and he said, with tears in his eyes, he said, because I asked Anne, my mother, to keep the baby up that night to see if he would, or tonight, to see if he would be able to recognize my voice over the air. And he said, wherever God has taken my son, I want him to know he can still hear me. And he went, he did the show as if nothing had occurred. And following, he collapsed backstage. They took him home. And of course, Bud Abbott gave this amazing tribute, you know, to him, to the studio audience, to tell them what had happened. Because of that, the grief was so deeply embedded into his heart and his soul to both my parents. No parent should ever have to outlive a child. And the only way he felt he could give back and ease the grief and the pain was to help kids in need. He loved children. He wanted every kid to have opportunities, opportunities that he didn't have as a kid. And now he had the money to afford it. That's what he wanted to do. So he and Bud together raised money going back on tour for what is the Lou Costello Jr. Youth Foundation in East L.A., which is still operational today. Only the city of L.A. Mm. has it, and it's now called the Lou Costello Recreation Center. But he wanted to find a location in Los Angeles that was the dirtiest, the most crime-ridden, the most um, uh, off-the-chart, you know, nasty place in the world. 
And he said, that's where I'm building my center. He said, the kids of Beverly Hills don't need it. You know, the kids that live in Pacific Palisades don't need it. But these kids in East L.A. do need it. I want them off the streets. I want to give them an opportunity to learn crafts. You know, he he put in a woodworking shop. He put in a nursery school, an Olympic-sized swimming pool where every child was taught to swim. Uh, Basketball uh, uh, court, uh, baseball diamond, you know. It was his dream that these kids of East L.A. would have a place to call home away from home, fully supervised. He had a medical center, an ice cream soda fountain, you know, where kids could get ice cream and sodas. He said many of these kids had never been into a movie theater. So what he did is he bought the center, this amazing state-of-the-art at that time movie projector, and would bring truckloads of films down uh, for the kids to see. And then when television started coming in in the late 40s, he said, these kids have never seen a game on TV. They've never seen a television set. So he bought the biggest television he could find. He had that taken down to the center. And he said, what was interesting, and this I found in a newspaper article when they were in Australia in 1955, and Dad was talking about the center. And he said that there were gangs that, you know, were very, well, they you know, ran rampant, you know, in that area. And he said some of the gangs had threatened to destroy the building and this and that. And Dad said, okay, you know, destroy the building. He said, and you know what? When you destroy this building, you're destroying what is yours. So the kids thought about it. And then Dad brought this big TV. And he said some of these same people or boys that were in gangs stopped and looked at this and they said what is this and he said it's a television he said you like sports right he said yeah he said well sit down he said because there's a game on he turned on the tv after it's set up and the kids were absolutely taken by this television watching a sporting event and he said from that point forward these gang members who started to get out of the gangs they protected the center So, you know, to him, that was his way of giving back. And I think if there's ever a message, and I say this so many times on our Facebook page with um, our groups for Abbott and Costello, is I said, now, in today's time, now more than ever before, we've got to start paying it forward, paying it back to others. You know, it's that random act of kindness. You can just do one act of kindness one day, every day. Whether it's holding the door open for somebody or saying, thank you, please, may I, you know, whatever. Um, You know, that's so important, you know, because I think if we don't, we start losing our humanity. Mm -hmm. You know, you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. You're right. There is so much division in, in our world today. You don't see a lot of people or you don't hear about it, at least of people paying things forward. I'm I'm kind of curious where your father got that was that uh I, I i've been reading your your book actually i've been listening to the um the audio version of it uh it's a phenomenal book and having you actually read it it's it, it feels like you're, you're in the room telling these great stories and i've, uh, I've just been enjoying it oh it's it's fantastic uh it's called uh, lose on first and it's just um it's been around since it was actually you know what it was actually the first celebrity biography that I ever read in the early eighties oh I think wasn't it Oh my gosh yeah it was published I believe in nineteen eighty three yeah and it was in print for twenty two years which was phenomenal 
And then during COVID, when everybody was on lockdown, a friend of mine who also produced this said, why don't you do the audio book based on your book? You know, incorporate it with some sound bites, um, you know, put a bonus chapter in, uh, which I, I, I thought about it for, for a while. And I thought, oh, this is an undertaking. And they said, but you should do the oration. And I said, oh, my God. So I said, OK, let's do it. So Studio C was formed, which is my walk in closet. <laughs> and I mean, it, it took about four months to really do it right got clearance from Universal to use some of the clips. Um, it it uh, was a labor of love. And, of course, the bonus chapter really, you know, I wanted to do that because people always said, what happened following, you know, that last chapter with my mother dying, this and that? Well, now they, they, they know, you know, and yeah. you can get it through Audible, uh, Amazon, any of the leading, you know, sites that have the audio books. Just put in, lose on first, the audio book. Uh, it's but, phenomenal. Uh, to, to answer your Thank you. To answer your, what was your question? <laughs> <laughs> well, from reading that book, I realized how much of an influence uh, your grandmother was uh, to Lou Costello. Do you think that the way that he was raised was all part of, I mean, even his brother, uh, Pat, uh, so giving, so supportive of like his dreams and stuff. Uh, was uh -huh. it just a, was there an, a, a part of the family tradition of, of paying things forward and of thinking, about others? You know, I think it was just his general makeup. Even as a child, I can remember sitting with my grandmother and she would look out towards the window, you know, and outside and she would start recalling the past. And now, you know, I'm very young at that point. I thought, oh my God, that was before, you know, tape recorders and stuff, but how I wish to God oh. I had had something to record this. But she said that he was always funny. As a young boy, he was always funny. At the age of five, she said we had a two story and he would slide down backwards. And she said, I would just be, I, I would clutch my heart thinking he's going to kill himself, <laughs> you know, but he had this ability of landing on his feet. He was very agile, but he was always doing things to help people laugh. Now, for instance, she said there was an orphanage in town. And she said, you know, a lot of times the, the kids didn't want to go and play with the orphanage kids. Dad did. You know, he liked to go over. He would play sandlot baseball. He would, you know, just he, he loved playing with the kids regardless. He didn't care if they were rich or whatever. And uh, he, when his sister Marie, I think this is in the book, was young, you know, uh, they, he and his friends would be going down to the corner to get some candy and, you know, he would have Marie in tow and they'd say, oh, come on, Lou, why do you always have to bring your sister? He said, because she's my sister and I want her to have candy. That's who he was. You know, he wanted the whole world to be a part of a birthday party. That's who he was. That was his makeup. You know, it wasn't anything that was instilled in him. It's just who he was as a man. Wow. You know, and I love the fact that he was always uh, humor wise and everything, you know, from the way that you describe him in the book and everything. He was always a kid at heart. And, and I think um, he he brought that about in his giving, but also in his humor. But I just picture, you know, your, your father is this person that when it com comes to humor and also just his heart, he's just going nuts. It's just going, you know, the giving is just going everywhere. And it's just, um, you know, there's stories about. Uh, him behind the scenes on the sets and you always hear from people that worked with him and actors and stuff about just how joyful he was and how fun he was and silly and all of that kind of stuff well he never he never looked at himself as being better than somebody else so a lot of the people i interviewed which was 
a lot of people during that four-year stretch of, of interviews is they all said when he came on the set, first thing he would do is he'd grab his coffee and he wanted to sit down and talk to the crew. He wanted to know how their families were doing, um, how they were doing. Um, at the end of a film, uh, you've heard of the rap parties. Mm-hmm. Well, they basically, he and Bud created that. Uh, at the end of, of the film, they would give each crew member a gift. And one person who, and I can't think of his name, but he was a carpenter in one of their films. And I, I interviewed him at the motion picture home where he was. And he said, I'll never forget this. He said, your father had just come back to work after having a relapse of rheumatic fever. He said he climbed up a ladder to a scaffolding to hand one of the carpenters a watch. And um, I mean, he he just and, and even Maxine Andrews, who became a dear friend of mine from the Andrews sisters, she recalled the story. She said, you know, Universal was not a nice studio for us to work with. She said they were never giving us things we needed, uh, but they expected us to give them our all. And I guess they were doing their first film. It could have been Buck Privates. And the studio had them on the back lot for location and they put up these thick heavy canvas tents for the Andrew sisters that was their sort of trailer makeshift trailer oh, wow. it was like 100 degrees inside of there and my dad stopped shooting and he said I'm not sh- I- I'm not filming I'm not filming until you get these girls a proper you know, set up to where they're not in an army tent. And he closed down, you know, shooting for a couple of hours until Universal finally said, okay, you know, but he was always for the underdog, always for the underdog. Um, One thing I have to say with both he and my mom, they never saw color. They never saw status. My mother could have cared less, you know, how famous you were. What she cared about was who you were inside. And I can remember that with all of the people that worked for us, that everybody was treated like family. Everybody stayed in touch with everybody after my parents' death. And Ophelia, one of the loveliest women on the face of the planet who's sadly no longer with us, I remember that she, she said, Lou and Ann were the most gracious people in the world. He, w- he brought me back a mink coat once from, from the studio and said, here, Ophelia, it's yours. And my mother was chasing her around the table going, wait a minute. No, no, <laughs> that's mine. And she, she was saying, nope, Mr. Costello gave this to me. Mr. C gave this to me. And she would laugh telling this story. Oh, my God. She said, then this one time when you and the family moved out to your ranch, she said, I was still working for you at that time. But I drove up in a brand new Thunderbird. She said, your father walked out to the kitchen and he did a double take and he looked out and he looked out and he went, whose car is that? That red Thunderbird. And she proudly said, well, Mr. C, that's mine. And he did another double take and looked at her and said, well, Jesus Christ, I'm going to start working for you. (laughs) But um, he had a big heart. He had a good heart, you know, and, and, you know, it's, it's, you know, we talk about division, you know, in the country today, which is so sad. But I remember my mother saying, if all the flowers in the garden were the same, it would really be a pretty boring garden. Yes. We were raised never, ever seeing color. We were never raised, you know, with um, uh, you're Catholic, you're Protestant, you're this, you're that. You know, there's too many labels on things, that's, you know, that, that separate people, you know. And I, I just think with Abbott and Costello, they're always seeing a revival 
you know, we see it, you know, on our, our Facebook pages with all the groups where the people that come in and comment going, I watch the news, I turn it off, and then I, I instinctively want to run my Abbott and Costello movie. <laughs> you know, it's, it just takes you back to that type of an era. Well, in a sense, it's almost like they they continue to do the things that they did, you know, even like during World War II and stuff. And that is give us exactly. a little bit of a break from the... The heartache. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, it's it's you know, I, it's um, when I am out and about uh, and I'm out and about a lot and I'm a, a travel agent and stuff. And, and, you know, I work with a variety of different clients. But the one thing I've noticed today that really kind of bothers me, and I often wonder what my dad and mom would say if they were here, is there's no more thank you please, can I, uh, you're welcome. Those manners have been lost. And yet when we were growing up, and I don't know how old you are, but I know I'm older than you, <laughs> is, is God forbid sitting at a table, having dinner at a restaurant at home, God forbid if you reached over across the table, you always said, can I please have that? Or will you pass that to me? Or thank you. May I be excused? It just, just polite little courtesies, which both my parents were very strict about. Dad was an Italian Catholic father. <laughs> you know, he, he you were wearing lipstick until you were like 22. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, and I see that loss today. And it's sad because once I, I went to the bank and I opened up the door because a guy was right behind me and I just opened up the door and he walked right, right through without a thank you or this or that. And I went, wow. Yeah. You know, wow. We've got to find our heart again, you know, and compassion for people. Oh, I love the, I love what you just said there. We've got to find our heart again. That is yeah. so spot on. Yeah. That's- well, you look at families who have been divided, you know, Trevor, for, with, through politics, you know, you know, it, to me, it's like leave politics out of it. I don't care what you are, who you voted for. I want to know who you are. You know, I don't need to know your political beliefs because I think deep down inside all of us, regardless of who you vote for, you want the same thing. It's You know, but sometimes people fail to realize you can be looking out that train window or a window and you're seeing you're, you're looking out the same window. You're just seeing different scenery, you know, yes. so. You know, but I, I, uh, I don't know. I think that was the foundation. And, and going back to Dad and Bud, um, you know, we, we put out a newsletter, an Abbott and Costello monthly newsletter, which oh, gives yeah. everything. Are you? Are you? Um, I am on it, and you? I'm a fan. Oh, you, you always oh. trip me up on the trivia questions. I always have to peek. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> <laughs> well, we got. We got some good contributors. I mean, they, they just put their heart and soul into it. And it's the best way I've told people, if you want to learn a little bit more about Dad and Bud, then check out the newsletter. Yes. You know, because it, it really is from soup to nuts, behind the scenes, the photos, uh, things you might. It's kind of like the continuation of a book. Yeah, I'm, I'm always shocked. I, I always consider myself kind of a, a comedy buff and everything. But there are so many things that you guys put out that I had no idea. You know, and you would think that after all these years, that's, you know, I've I've heard everything. But you, you always shock me with uh, the things that you've come up with. Well, you know. if any of your, your congregation would like to be on the subscriber list, all they have to do is just send an email to accollectibles at AOL.com. All we need is their first and last name, city and state, and we'll get them on and send them the current issue. You know, and that's a labor of love, too, isn't it? It is. It is. You know, it's very time consuming, but it is a labor of love. And, you know, it's it's grueling during the month because sometimes you feel you're coming up short on what 
you want to give. And then God bless the contributors from Ron Palumbo, who's the foremost uh, historian. I'm Abbott and Costello and, and uh, Jeff Salamando, who does the uh, uh, memory, Memories of Milestones. Uh, he's our fact checker. He gets all the newspaper interviews that he retrieves. Uh, Joe Savoya with the trivia section. Karen Cucho, who we just put in a few months ago. Lou Costello's Patterson. Uh, it's it's uh, we're trying to give the fans, you know, everything, if not a little bit more. I'm very grateful for it. On that, I just want to piggyback on you have a podcast that you have been uh, doing for a number of years now, actually, uh, on cue with uh, Chris Costello. Can you tell tell us just a little bit about that? Well, yeah, what it is, is, is uh, you know, my, I have a background in the entertainment industry, uh, started out, you know, singer. I did a lot of voiceovers, this and that. And I'm always interested in people that have sustained backgrounds or people that have, you know, broken the glass ceiling. Uh, uh, you know, so, so in, in fact, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite podcast shows was with Denise and uh, her husband, Susie Andron and Bob Andron uh, of Kate Smith. And it is, I don't know if you've heard that. I it have. Is Wonderful. It is wonderful. But what we do is we want we want to take every listener on a journey. So I have a wonderful producer, Pamela Wise, and we have a wonderful sound engineer up in Northern California, June Miller with JMC Sound. We incorporate the music. We incorporate the sound bites. We do a beautiful lead into each one it, just to give an overall visual, try to give the visual along with the audio. Uh, we've had Elizabeth Beisel, Olympian, uh, has been a guest on the show. Uh, we've had remarkable people, Ron Cheney from the Cheney Dynasty, um, we're in, uh, Francis Gary Powers Jr., who uh, we did an interview with, who is the son, of course, of the legendary YouTube pilot, Francis Gary Powers. And then we did a second interview where he was joined by uh, Sergei Khrushchev, Nikita Khrushchev's son. And uh, so we've, we really are very proud. We've won uh, two awards. Actually, it's four awards, excuse me, within two years. And uh, pretty proud of that. So if your listeners are interested, all they have to do really is just Google uh, on Q Chris Costello podcast, and they can be taken to a variety of different uh, links. The thing I, I enjoy about it is it feels like in many ways you are kind of carrying on your dad's legacy of just talking with people and um, I mean, you go from there's like the 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 Cheney dynasty of, of Lon Cheney and all that. And then there's one um, you actually talked with uh, the, the time and tone lady, oh, which I yes. thought was just remarkable. I Jane mean, Barbie. Yes, that's the one. <laughs> I, I love that one. Yeah. I, and that's the sound of the tone. <laughs> yeah, such a wide variety on your show. And it's it's one of those things where as a, as a pastor and in the things that we, we try to teach ourselves at the at the church and everything of, of neighbors church is the importance of everybody and just how uh, every single person on the earth has a story and their differences. Exactly. They don't have exactly. yeah, differences don't have to be a threat. We can as we talk with people, get to know them, we'll find commonality. And we might we might learn something. Yeah, and no, it's so true. In fact, uh, one of the guests that we're going to be interviewing on the show, which will be later in the month, is Libby Riddles. She is the first woman to ever win the Iditarod dog sled race uh, in Alaska, oh, wow. and uh, in 1985. And we've got her coming on the show. 
And people like that are, are so intriguing to me because, you know, you wouldn't think this male dominated sport would have had a woman, you know, win it. And she did. You know, it's very, it's what the conditions, the harsh conditions these mushers uh, and their dogs have to go through is just, whoa. <laughs> so we're real excited about having Libby on. Oh, wow. When is that going to be uh, posted? Do you know for sure? I'm not sure the date it'll be up, but it will be uh, probably in November. Okay. I, I, I'm sure you get asked this a thousand times, but what was it like living in the Costello home as a kid? Well, as a kid, it was absolutely magical and wonderful. I mean, he, he was just as, as strict as he was his father. You know, he was also like a fairy godfather, you know, just <laughs> performing magic to your every once. But I think I was a little bit more indulged and spoiled simply because I came along four years after. My brother died, yeah. and I think it's just sort of a natural tendency, you know. So my sister's used to that. Right, now you're so spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But uh, I grew out of it. But, no, I, you know, losing parents, any child, any child losing parents, you know, that young. I was 11 when my dad died, then I turned 12 and my mother died. You know, it's like your whole world has been just turned upside down, Um, you know, but, you know, I think the one thing with dad and mom is they instilled survival techniques in all of us. So, you know, we survived. Thank God we survived. And the reason I ask that is is because your dad, um, rheumatic fever, um, losing the son, there are so many there's if he wanted to be bitter all of his life, uh, Mm -hmm. you could have made excuses for that. But mm-hmm. instead, he turned all of that around. And it just seems like you're carrying a lot of that legacy forward as far as the uh, looking out for your neighbor and, and just uh, seeing the bright side of things. And I, I, it's just remarkable. Well, thank you. It's, it's kind of tough. You know, it, 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 it's tough. You know, we always have to go back and check within ourselves because just recently I lost my, my dog very suddenly. Oh, too. I'm sorry. Uh, in, in the angiosarcoma, which, you know, one day fine, the next day, boom, gone. And that was like whiplash, emotional whiplash. And, you know, you, you sit there and you go deep inside of yourself and you're just so, um, you know, your heart is just torn apart. And I was saying to my sister on the phone, I said, I don't know how mom and dad lost their boy. I don't know how they lost that child. You know, it's, it's kind of like an equivalence of losing a child. Yes. But, you know, it's, uh, I, I guess what you just said to me is sort of a message from above. You know, maybe I needed to hear that. So oh, thank you. I'm a, I'm a huge dog lover. And, and to me, uh, my dog, Murray, is a family I member. That. I so, love that. What was your dog's uh, name? My dog's name was uh, Tyler. Tyler, wow! I'm Tyler, so sorry yeah. about that. Oh, thank you. That it was it was a tough one. It still is. You know, it's a tough one. Uh, but you know, I believe in the afterlife, and I believe that I believe that dogs and cats and all these wonderful animals that are out there they're they're God's angels here to teach us the lessons, and they're here for such a short time because they don't have all the crap to work out that we do. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I always look at them as, as being far more spiritual than I could ever hope to be, far more in tune, you know, um, than I could ever hope to be. But they're here to teach us these godly lessons. Oh, I, and I so, so agree. I so agree with that. Yeah. I, I think yeah. that the best way to learn how to be, for me, Christ-like is, is to watch a dog. 
a family dog yeah. because they are yeah. always there. And they, yeah. they don't think of themselves first. They just come and they are just loyal and wonderful. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I so totally agree. I so totally agree. Um, you know, and I, I you know, I, I, I have my, my go to church. I I'm a Catholic, mm-hmm. you know, I was baptized Catholic, but I haven't been to church in a long time only because I feel that I don't have to go to church to be with God. Sure. So I have on my front porch, which is a beautiful front porch. You know, it's in the early morning hours where I've said to my sister, it's like sitting in a church at night or, you know, before the sun comes up where it's completely quiet, where I really feel that connection, you know, um, with, uh, you know, the God, um, you know, the, the angels, um, you know, I, I speak to, you know, Tyler's guardian angels, you know, I know he's safe. I know he's happy. Uh, you know, and it's, um, but there's, there's always lessons to be learned. And I think the lesson he taught me in this lifetime is don't ever think or take for granted that there will ever be a tomorrow, you know, to learn, live each, each day, each minute, you know, as, as best you can to the fullest. So I think that's what I've learned from Tyler. And I thank him for that. That's that's great. If you think of today as, as your first day and your last day, I know that's a cliche, but it truly does give you a perspective on what to be grateful for. And also, wouldn't you want your last moments knowing that you were being loved and you were loving others? Exactly. 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 Very well put. If I ever get to you, you're in Nebraska, right? Yeah. Lincoln, Nebraska. Yeah. You know, I think the story you told about the, the birthday party with the, the kid Yes. If I remember right, that happened in Lincoln, didn't it? Yes, I think you are correct. Isn't that funny? <laughs> yes. Oh, oh, my God. Well, yes, because I do cataloging and archiving of, of photographs. And I know that with the War Bond Tour, I've got a zillion photographs, and I have them by year, location, and a lot comes up on Lincoln and Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah. that, that I remember reading that actually in your book about the birthday party. So... I think that the next time that you're around this way, I'm going to invite you to my birthday party. I love it. <laughs> I love it. And, you know, I, I, I have to say, well, I'm sure of this, that all of your, you know, parishioners that come to you um, feel very blessed to have you. You know, you, you have a, a deep spirituality, I can tell. And uh, I would love to come to church. I would love that. And we try not to take ourselves too seriously either. So, well, that's good. I love that. This has been such a, a, a joy talking with you. I'm so glad that you were able to to do this oh, with us. Thank you. And I Thank ju- you so much. I want to just plug again. Uh, I know that you, you probably get tired of hearing this, but your book is it's just so well uh, written. And the audio is such a great experience. I actually oh, listen to it while you. I'm on my I do a stationary bike every morning and you are my soundtrack while I exercise. <laughs> I love that. It's, I love yeah. that. Oh, I'm so honored. I'm so honored. If you can, my day. Yeah. If you can keep me from feeling like I'm dying, you know that it's a good oh. book. So I love that, Trevor. Thank you so much. So much. <laughs> well, God bless oh. you. And I, I want to oh. say again on cue, Chris Costello, the podcast, it is, it is such a wonderful time to just listen to stories from some wonderful people. And you are a great interviewer, too. Oh, thank you so much. You are. Just keep in touch. I will. And to all of your, your congregation, the people out there, um, you know, uh, God bless every one of you for having such a wonderful guy like you. And, uh, you know, just keep safe, well, and always carry the love in your heart. 
Thank you so much. I'm going to I'm going to send you the check now for the the kind compliments <laughs> too. So. <laughs> No, we'll just go out and have coffee. Oh, perfect. Well, actually, yeah, I was listening to your podcast on wine, and now I'm craving that, too. So that's another one that I I love listening to. I love it. I love it. Oh, you are so sweet. You keep in touch. Thank you. Thank you so much. You do the same. Thank you. Bye-bye.